want to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Don't you find it fascinating just to study the life of other people, just to kind of get to know what makes them tick? Obviously, Americans do. Uh, biographies oftentimes are bestsellers. People buy them because they'd like to get insights into what makes them tick. Why did they make these decisions? How do they develop this kind of character? How do they handle this kind of success? We'd like to try to almost relive some of the experiences that they had. Perhaps we can even glean things, learn from them, from things that they have done in their life. We read about presidents. We look at business leaders, athletes, musicians, all walks of life. We'd like to get to know them just a little bit. And I, I find myself in that category. I, I love to learn about other people. And so I, I read biographies. Just in the past year, I've done some reading on Tony Dungy, President Washington, Colin Powell, Peter Marshall, Charles Spurgeon, President Reagan. And I just I start asking questions like, what can I learn from this individual? What, what did they do well? How did they handle success? What did they do when they had trouble and failure, when things were all just coming apart? What sort of mistakes did they make that I can learn from and learn to avoid? I much rather learn my lessons by watching someone else go through them and like, ah, don't do that, all right? And then for some of these guys and individuals I read about, I, they have a, an authentic, real relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to know how their relationship with Jesus Christ has influence or impacts or changes or transforms the way they live. And I like, to, I like to read about these people, but more better than even just reading about people, I, I really like the opportunities that God has given me to actually get to know some of these people. Now, some of the people here I've referred to or you see up there, I've, I've not had the opportunity to meet, but people that I respect, um, perhaps they have walked with the Lord for a significant time, just to be able to spend a meal with them or just a few minutes with them, just to ask them questions to me, I find is, is an ex- invaluable experience. Let me give you a particular category of people that I really uh, value getting to know. And that are those, those people who have walked with the, our Lord for a significant period of their time, of their life, that have characteristics that just seem to emanate Jesus Christ. And I'd like to get to know them. I'm talking about people that have been around the block for a while. Older people who have walked with God for a long time. Just recently, I had an opportunity to do that. There was a man by the name of Ford Madison. Uh, Many of you probably don't know him. He's a successful real estate developer. He's in his retired years. And, And he became a Christian in his 20s. And God just radically transformed this man's life. And he became a successful Christian businessman. And not only was he successful in the business world, but he was successful as a Christian in the business world. He had caught the picture very early on on how to invest in the lives of other people. And it's a pattern that he kind of followed throughout his whole life. In fact, even today, he leads a class at his church like life after college. And so here you have a guy in his 70s, and he's got all these guys and gals that are graduating from college, and he invests in them. And he tries to fish out a couple of these guys just to pour his life into. And I I tell you, that is fascinating to me, just to find out what makes a guy like that tick. And if you were interested in living for Christ fruitfully and faithfully for the long term, you and I, we've got to engage 
and some of the older saints that have been doing this for a while. We've got to get behind the mask, behind the scenes, what's going on in their heart. And if you are interested in learning how to live your life faithfully and fruitfully for a lifetime, you're going to need to pay real close attention to the passage we're going to look at today. Because what we find when we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, we find the convictions that motivated and led to a lifetime of faithfulness in the Apostle Paul. They are the lifelong convictions that led to a full and a faithful life they are found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. We have, a, we have a lot of discussion about the Apostle Paul. People know about him, non-Christians, Christians alike. He has an amazing testimony. He went from a Christ hater to one of the leading spokespersons that the Christian faith has ever known. He became one of Christ's actual apostles. But what was it that was inside the man that made him live the way he did? And what you're going to find when you find in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8, you're going to find three convictions that shape this man's life completely. And our convictions are critical to life. You might want to remember it this way. The convictions we hold guide the life that we live. And all of us have convictions. You may have not thought about it for a while, like what yours are, but you have them. There are beliefs, values, attitudes that govern your decisions, what you do with your time, your money, what you pursue in life, what you stay away from. Those are at the bedrock of your being, your convictions. You may have not thought about them for a while. You may not even have even ever articulated what they are. But Paul does. At the very end of his life, he articulates his convictions that led to the life that he lived. And by the way, let me just tell you this. Who you are living for determines how you will live. Let's just put this out on the table. If you are living for self, your convictions, your attitudes, your values are all going to be oriented, oriented around you. And if people meet your needs or doing things the way you like, you're going to be happy. And as soon as someone crosses you or you're not getting quite what you want, well, you're going to be unhappy and upset because you believe that all of life revolves around you. However... If your conviction is, it's not about me, it's about God, your values, your beliefs, your attitudes will reflect that. As we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is challenging at the end of his life his protege, Timothy, and you can find this challenge in verse 5. You see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, but you, Timothy, in contrast to people who are going to run off, uh, go and listen to people who are just kind of spewing out myths, People abandoning the truth, walking away from the Savior, adopting a false Christianity. No, that is not for you. Verse 5, but if you, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. All of us have a ministry. We have been entrusted by God to carry out his purpose and his mission in this life. And if you do not have the convictions found in verses 6 through 8, I bet it will not happen. It is that important. So what are these convictions? They are simple, they are memorable, and they are transformational. The first one, if you would like to live a Christ-centered life, let me just lay it out there very simply for you. You need to live your life with no reserve. Look at it. Paul says, verse 6, For I... I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure 
has come. If you want to live a life where Christ is exalted in your life and you experience the fullness of life, of faith in him, we have to come to a point where we are living our life with no reserve. That means not holding back. And Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And what he's using here is Old Testament sacrificial imagery here. And now if you remember from your study of the Old Testament, after a burnt offering or a grain offering, they would actually have a wine offering where they would pour out wine onto the altar. And what it symbolized was the pouring out of a life. And wine was used on joyous occasions. It was even symbolized joy. And at a drink offering, it was the worshiper's experience of joy to, like, to emblematic pour out his life on the altar of God. As he's like, just, I'm pouring out my life, and it's a joyful ex- of expression of worship. That is what a drink offering is, and that is what Paul is saying. I have lived my life, and I am pouring it out as a drink offering. Paul saw himself as just a living expression of pouring out his life to God. And he lived his life with no reserve. This idea of drink offering, uh, this isn't the first time it appears. If you remember in the book of Philippians, which we've been written about probably about five years prior to this, he said in Philippians chapter one, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 17, he says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. The attitude of the person who's living life with no reserve is this, this. It is a joy for me to pour out my life before my God for your sake. It's not like, oh, I got to hang out with these kids. Or, oh boy, I've got I got this group here or this class or to help this widow or this person in need or to pray with this person. Uh-uh. It's like, Lord, all of my life belongs to you and I just desire to pour it out as a joyful sacrifice of worship to you. Now, sometimes when you're pouring out your life, you feel like this is a waste. These people do not seem to appreciate whatsoever what I'm doing. Does it even matter one iota that what I have done for these people? And you know what? There's going to be a lot of times where it'll go perhaps unappreciated, maybe even unnoticed, but for one but for God. You see, God sees us pouring out our life in the midst of the circumstances and the difficulties and the people in our life. Whether anybody else sees it or not isn't actually the issue. The question is, what is the focus of your life? And when we live our life with no reserve, it's like, Lord, I just want to pour out my life before you. And if your attitude is, I am going to live my life this way, you need to also know something. It will at times be very difficult We would like to think that if we pour out our life in such a manner, we see ourselves as living with no reserve, that God will bless us in such a way that we'll never have to endure any hardship. It's just like, I'm pouring out my life, and God fills my tank, and there's never any problems. God will fill your heart, but you will encounter difficulties. That's what makes it a sacrifice. In fact, Paul had done that. If you read the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you find out many of the battle scars of a faithful soldier. I mean, he had been beaten times without number. Can you imagine? He had received from the Jews 39 times. The reason they didn't beat him 49 times is they thought that the 40th lick would probably kill him. So he settled for 39. 
Uh, you've been beaten with rods. You've been stoned three times. You've been shipwrecked day and night. He'd been laying around and swimming around in the deep. He'd been in labor and hardship. He'd been in sleepless nights. He had all the concerns of the church, of people going in all sorts of different directions. And friends, that is the kind of life that we, this is the kind of circumstances that we pour our life into. It is to live our life with, with no reserve. Let me ask you, who or what are you pouring your life into? All of us are, are pouring our life into something. Some of us, it, it is our careers. Our careers are our God. They dictate our every hour, our move, our motive, and what we do with our time. Some say, well, I've got a real good one. It's my family. And that's, that's good. Uh, but is it, is, it, is, it, is it God that you're pouring into? Or is it just that these, my, these family members, these children, they just stroke me and they meet a need of validation in my life? Some people pour it into their, their recreation or their entertainment. All of us are pouring our life into something. But God says, what I want you to do is I want you to yield your life fully to me, and you pour it out in service to the people in your life. You know, there's a lot of benefits uh, for living this way. Uh, it, first of all, when you live our life with saying, you know what, all that I have is God's, it, it gives us the ability to live with the right priorities in life. It allows us to focus on what's truly important. This really comes in help. It really comes into play when we face trials, when we live with no reserve. It enables us to be faithful and fruitful. But to live your life with no reserve, guys, is a daily choice. It's a daily choice. Because when we wake up in the morning, we it's like our day gets started, and we our orientation is either Godward, or it's it's focused on self. And I just want to say something. If you have been pulling back for a while, it is never too late to start pouring out again. You see, there is a great need for contagious Christianity in our schools, in our neighborhoods, on our jobs. And if that is going to be a reality for you, it starts with the conviction I'm going to live my life with no reserve. Paul says, For me, verse 6, I've already been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Departure speaks of of the fact that he's going to be passing away soon. Really, this is very interesting. This word departure refers to the loosening of something, like the mooring ropes of a ship or the ropes of a tent or used of a soldier who's striking his tent and moving out. Paul is going home. Paul doesn't see his life as just making a living down here. He sees himself under the command of a heavenly general. He has been assigned a task. He has a mission. He knows what he's doing. He's a good soldier of Christ Jesus, and he realizes that his time on earth is short. He says, but I've poured my life out like a drink offering, and I know that the time for me to pull my tent pegs up and fold my tent on this earth is soon to come. And tradition holds, it happens. Roman citizen, if you're a Roman citizen, you didn't get crucified. Okay? If you're a Roman citizen and you were to be executed, they didn't crucify you. They would just basically cut your head off. And, it's, and tradition holds, church tradition holds, that with a flash of a sword, Paul lost his life. Because he's writing this in prison. And shortly after he finishes this, he loses his life. But I want you to see how he lived it. He lived his life with no reserve. We have to get away from this mentality of, I will give God two weeks, two hours of my week. We've got to move away from that. If we want to experience the life that Christ seeks to develop in us, 
It has to be a life of we're not holding anything back. And let me tell you where you'll start seeing this. You'll see this in your willingness to serve others. Uh, another area where no reserve shows up, or your, the degree that we're following no reserve, is what do you do with your finances? Does your checkbook reflect the priorities of God? Is, is God even a part of your stewardship? Do you give to his work and the forwarding and furthering of his work? Uh, let me just tell you something that I've found to be helpful. And that is to begin my day. As soon as I start having conscious thoughts, okay, you kind of move out of dreamland, and then you kind of like, what day? I, I have to figure out, like, what day is it? And what am I supposed to be doing? Is to begin your day yielded to God. You can actually do this in just a few minutes, but you just, you just begin by just acknowledging God. You, could, you can praise him for different characteristics. You thank him, and then you say, Lord, I just want to give you my life. I, I want to orient my life toward your purposes today. If you want to uh, learn how in the world did Paul live the life he did, he, first of all, he had the conviction of no reserve. But there was a second conviction that he had. It's found in verse 7. Not only did he live his life with no reserve, he lived his life with no retreat. Look at verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. This is this word fought. We get, it's the word agonizomai. We get our word agony. It speaks of great strife, serious effort, major uh, Amounts of effort to go through it, sometimes enduring serious hardship. That is how Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. If you are looking for something to give your life to, give it to Jesus Christ and his purposes in this world. And his purposes are this, the worship of God, the evangelization, the spreading of the gospel throughout the entire world, and the building up of mature, to maturity of his people. If you are looking for a cause to give yourself to, it is the fight that Paul refers to. I have fought the good fight. And it is, at times, the Christian life is a real struggle. Let me just give you some of the different ways the Christian life is a struggle. His struggle was like ours. Sometimes we say, like, Paul, some missionary, some pastor, there's some sort of super saint, and they live in a different world, and they don't have the same issues and temptations as me. And that is so far from the truth. We are all cut out of the same bolt of cloth. And Paul's struggle was just like ours. Let me just tell you what his struggle is and what our struggle is. It was a struggle to live physically and mentally pure and to keep your emotional passions in check. It was a struggle against the world's encroaching anti-God influence. It was a struggle against untruth and error and superstition, like runs through our TVs and in our newspapers and our magazines on a daily basis. It was a struggle against the effects of a deteriorating body. You know, it's one thing to serve the Lord with joy and passion when all of your limbs are working great and your back's not bothering you. But it's kind of different when you've got cancer or you're hurt or you're injured or you're facing some sort of illness or disease. It, for Paul, it was a struggle against Judaizers and pagans and people who wanted to turn the Christian faith into some sort of legalistic exercise and, and there was this unholiness in the church. It was a fight against a fight against fear and against sin. It was a fight to defend the faith and to present it. It was a struggle to not give in to discouragement and despair and even depression because Paul had experienced all sorts of difficult circumstances, especially difficult people who had let him down, left him cold, 
and basically left him to be devastated. It is difficult. You're involved in Christian ministry. You invest in some people and they're like, oh, you know, that's great. I think we're going to move on to another little place. You know, and they, and they do that. That is hard and that is difficult. Paul had experienced all of that. In fact, you find here as you're reading here in, in verse 16, he said, at my first offense, no one supported me. When I needed people the most, they made themselves really scarce. He had, he had faced serious difficulties. It was a fight. He says, I have fought the good fight. He did not give up. He kept moving forward. You want to see what no retreat looks like? It means you've got to stay in the battle. Second of all, you have to finish the course. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. He had completed what God had called him to do. When you say that word, and I have finished, who does that remind you of? Does that remind you of Jesus Christ? When you look at the, the last words of Jesus Christ when he was on the cross, one of those words that he said was, remember, it is finished. What God sent me to do, I have completed. I have run the race. I have finished the course. Paul saw himself the exact same way. What God had called me to do from the moment of my salvation, of spreading the gospel, developing churches, investing in the lives of helping people grow in Christ, I have done. I have lived my life. I have finished the course. Now, if, if you're looking for the race, you're like, well, okay, Grant, I'm, I'm interested. Where is the race? Can you show me so I can show up? Let me tell you where the race is. You're in it. You see, the circumstances, the people in your life, your family, your job, your trials, your difficulty, where you live, right here in good old central Texas, this is where we run our life. Don't be thinking like the life is, well, the race is out there in Africa or Antarctica or Alaska. Uh-uh. Guess where it is? It's right where you and I live. It is a call to be faithful here and now. To walk with God, to finish our course, to not pull out. Paul is saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. That's what he is doing. That's what he's been doing. And he's saying, I have come to a point where I have, I have finished what God has called me to do. And let me just tell you a little bit about running. I've spent a lot of my years running from my problems and running from phone calls and just running for exercise. But let me just tell you about running. Sometimes, sometimes when you're running, you're out there, uh, sometimes it's, it goes well. In fact, you feel like you're almost floating, okay? Especially if you kind of have this breakthrough or you've gone through this point of exhaustion. It's like you just are just clipping along. And let me tell you a couple things that help, especially when you're going down just a little gradual descent where you've got some wind to your back. You're like... I think I could still make the Olympics. You know what I'm saying? You're just like floating. You're just like, this is great. But then sometimes when you're running, your body just feels lethargic. You had trouble getting your shoes tied, and you're out there, and you're just trudging. And I'm like, and then some, you know, in Texas here, we have some of these winds, and like there's, you're hardly moving forward. I'm like, I'm so glad I run in the country so no one can watch me because this is pathetic. You know what I'm saying? This is a sorry excuse. This looks like nothing like the Nike commercial people are watching. I'm just like doing everything I can to keep one foot in front of the other. That's what it's like to run. And friends, that's what it's like in our life. 
you know, sometimes it's like, man, I just sense the presence and the pleasure of God. You've got, I, I, just, I feel his presence. I see his blessing. I sense the empowerment of the spirit. Things are clicking. Things are well. Things are not only joyful, but they're happy. But then there are other times in our life where it is hard. It doesn't make sense. In fact, you can hardly see in front of you where you're even supposed to go. It is discouraging. It's like, I can't handle one more email or another bad phone call. And it's just life. Friends, this doesn't catch God by surprise. This is the normal, natural Christian life. But the question is, are you and I going to stay in the race where you're like, uh, I'm just going to bail and fall off to the side of the road here? Paul is saying, I finished the course. You know, there are times when we're running and we, we get sidetracked. And if you look away from the Savior for a significant period of time, you actually get tripped up. And I don't know if you've ever fallen. I've got firsthand experience on that on multiple occasions. It leaves you scratched up. You can get bruised. You can leave a little of your hide there right on the, on the pavement. I even dislocated my shoulder last year doing things like this. You, you can hurt yourself. But friends, I know that some of you are facing some serious difficult times. I know some of you right now are kind of almost floating in euphoria. The question is, will you stay the course and stay with the Savior? Let me give you a name, Brett Favre. September 30th, 2007. Anybody know what happened on that day? A couple of you, yeah. He set the NFL record for uh, completion, most touchdown passes, okay? That's what he did. Um, He did it on that day. He broke the record for Dan Marino, and he actually did 421 touchdown passes. Awesome. Stellar. And, you know, it, it it was widely publicized, all sorts of news articles about it. This is the man. Did you know that two weeks later, our superstar quarterback, Brett Favre, also entered the record books one more time? Do you know what he did this time? He entered the record books for the most uh, intercepted passes two weeks later, 278 picked passes in NFL games. I tell you that because it kind of reminds you of another athlete by the name of Babe Ruth. Think of Babe Ruth, and you're like, oh, yeah, he once held the home run record with 714 home runs. But did you know that our guy, Babe Ruth, he was also the strikeout king? He had, he had 714 home runs, but did you know that he had 1,330 strikeouts? Okay, that means he struck out more than he ever hit a home run. But let me tell you why I'm telling you about these guys. They had learned the ticket or the key of perseverance. They did not give up when faced with failure. If Babe Ruth struck out like, oh, man, I'm really sorry at this. I better just stay in the clubhouse. Or Brett goes, oh, I threw an interception, man. I'm a terrible quarterback. I think I'll go lay around on the sidelines here. He would have never gotten back on the field. You've got to learn that it doesn't matter how you messed up or what kind of mistake that you made. Or, yes, indeed, you had a major goof up here. But you get back on the field. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. So says the book of Proverbs. God picks us up. He says, that wasn't very pretty, but we're going to try this again. Here you go. And you get you get you back on the field, back in your marriage, back in your neighborhoods, back with your family. We all mess up, don't we? We all make mistakes. We all say things that we regret like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Or in my ministry, I, I just majorly blew it here. I'm done. No. We learn from our mistakes, but we get back on the course because we have a race to run. 
you know, that is this this whole idea of running. You find it in the scriptures, like in First Corinthians nine twenty four. He says, "Run in such a way that you may win." He had he had achieved a ministry mindset of learning how to give and to go forward even when he messed up. No retreat means verse seven, fighting the good fight. It means finishing the course. It also means I have. Verse 7, I have kept the faith. He lived it out. He lived out the faith. The faith is really the word of God and the way of life that is found in Jesus Christ. I have kept it. I have cherished it. I have walked with God. I've enjoyed his presence. I've obeyed his word. I have seen his power working in my midst. I engaged in others. I have lived it out. But if you're going to keep the faith, this sounds almost like an oxymoron, but you know what? If you're going to keep it, you've got to learn how to give it away. You have to learn how to pass it on to others. You want to start first with your family. But we've got to come to a point where the Christians are engaged with the people in this world. We pass it on by sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But we also pass it on by investing in others. That's what Paul did. Remember in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is how we live our life with no retreat. We keep the faith. We live it out and we pass it on to others. You know, perhaps um, you've been strong in your Christian life at different points. But now is not one of them. I read these verses in verse 7. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And you're like actually sinking in your little chairs right there like, oh, man, that is so not me. I have gotten off the train quite a while ago, like last month or last year, or maybe it's been even several years. Friends, it's not God gracious, but he is with his word calling us to convictions for a life that is centered on Christ. And that means living our life with no retreat, no reserve, no retreat. By the way, I want you to look again at verse seven. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. What is going to be said at the end of your life? Should it be next week, next year, 10 years from now, or 40 years from now? Is verse 7 something that we're going to be able to say at your funeral? Is it? If verse 7 is going to be said at your funeral, at the end of your life, let me give you something. You have to be pursuing it while you're alive. Now. Not later. Not after I get out of college. Not like after I get going in my business. Not after the kids are out of the house. Not after I'm a grandfather. The time is now. You know, as Christians, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to make big mess of things at different times. But our confidence is not in ourselves. Paul said in Philippians 1, 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, God is using his word to bring about the development and the maturity in his people. And part of that might be just like, it's time to get back on the track. Let me give you the third, the third conviction of a Christ-centered life. I told you these are simple, they're memorable, and they're transformational. It is to live your life with no reserve, Live your life with no retreat. So 
soon as trouble comes, you don't run away. As soon as difficulty, hardship, you don't bail out. You stay in the game. And the third conviction is no regret. Look at this progression we have in Paul. Verse 6, verse 7. Verse 7, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Verse 8, I've got no regret. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You might want to think of it this way. See, Paul had the right passion in his life. He was living with the right pursuits because he was focused on the right prize. Verse 8, in the future. He's not just living for the here and now. He is living for the future. We're so focused on the dot when God wants us focused on the eternity. We're, when you think of a, a line that goes into eternity, we're focused on just a minute dot. God wants us focused on eternity. He is going to richly and greatly reward those who are his own. In the future, Paul says, all of this is so worth it. It is worth it for me to be beaten and be mistreated and be maligned and have people abandon me. It is worth it to pour my life and watch people grow and develop and invest in these churches and to give everything I got, money, time, talent, all of it. It is worth it. You know why? Because the Lord, the Lord, the righteous judge, he is going to award me on that day. He speaks of this crown of righteousness. This is really the crown because he is righteous. He has believed in Christ. He's received the righteousness of Christ. It is like the crown that says, my son, you are righteous because you're united with me. And it's like the crown of his life. He is not like receiving. Don't get the idea that if I work really hard and do a lot of good things here, that God's going to give me the crown of righteousness. No, You get the crown of righteousness when you know Christ, the righteous one, and you have your faith in him. And when you have your faith in him, it is reflected in your life. I'm not sure where this came from, but it has been developing in our American culture for some time. The idea that when I'm a a young person, I wave my hand at a meeting somewhere or I just say, well, yeah, I believe in God. But there is absolutely no transformation in your life. Your values, your beliefs, your morals, your ethics are absolutely no different than the rest of the world. What you do with your time, your money, has no difference than what you were before you raised your hand or went forward. That is foreign to the New Testament. When the New Testament speaks of someone becoming a Christian, it speaks of God working out his eternal plan, bringing the gospel where people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a turning from sin, not like, yeah, I like all the messy stuff that I'm into. No, it's like... This is bad because it offends a holy God and it is truly messing up my life. And there is a turning and there's a trusting in Jesus Christ and there is a growth in this relationship. It is not always perfect. It's not a straight line. There's ups and downs. There's falls and failures. But there is also faithfulness and fruitfulness that come from this relation, comes from this relationship with Christ. That's what Paul has in his life. And he's focused not on the here and now. He is focused on the Lord the righteous judge awarding to me. And he says, and it's not only to me that he's going to award this, but notice what he says to all those who have loved his appearing. I've underlined that in my Bible because I think that that is the secret. Are you looking for faithfulness, fullness, fruitfulness in your life? It is to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength.
I think you saw this in the newspaper. I know some of you saw it on TV. Our very own Elton Jones, the Bassmaster Classic Champion. He got a little invitation to go to the White House and visit the president. Not only him, but his family and his parents. And I, I saw the picture in the newspaper, and sure enough, it looked like Elton was having a pretty good time. Elton told me that they had a schedule of 20 to 30 minutes, okay, for him to meet with the president. But obviously, that went way over, and they were having a very good time. And, and I looked at the picture in the paper, and I'm like, oh, there's Elton. He looks like he's cracking a joke. There's the president. He's busting up laughing. You know, and it was, must have been something. I mean, think about it. To achieve something like winning the Super Bowl of fishing and get an invitation to go to the White House and to shake the president's hand and say, good job, and to have Alton say, I want to go fishing on your lake. Invite me over, okay? That must have been something. Wasn't it? That must have been cool. That's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. How much far greater will it be when we pass from this life having served and loved the Lord, grown in grace, in His Word, actually shared the gospel with people even though we were sweating to death, we actually invested our lives in, the other, in other people. We, we're not only like, oh, that discipleship stuff, that's for somebody else. We actually said, oh, you know, I'm not sure what I have to offer, but I'm going to try. We actually put ourselves in ministries where we could actually touch lives. We were faithful with our Bible study when there were 25 people coming and when there were two. To be faithful with our families, to love our spouse and our kids and our people, to have the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit coming from our life as a way of life. And at the end, when we pass from this life to the next, to have the Savior put his hand, his nailed scarred hand on our shoulder and say, well done, good and faithful slave. I can even hardly even say it. Imagine. Imagine what that will be like. You fulfilled the very purpose that I called you for. You have fought the good fight. You have finished the course. You have kept the faith. I tell you, that is what Paul was living for. Paul's right now in a prison. That wasn't the end all goal. That wasn't his retirement plan in case you have some sort of warped idea like, oh, he just ran out of money. No, that did not happen at all. The guy broke through the tape at a full sprint. That's how we want to finish. We want to finish well. And if you want to finish well, you need to be loving Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus were to come back tomorrow, how many of your plans would be seriously interrupted? Like, whoa, whoa, this is terrible timing, you know, I got this big deal going on, or I've really been looking forward to... You see, it's good to ask ourselves, are, am I ready? Every time we go to communion, remember, you know, we always talk about we're to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are to be living mindful that he's going to return. That means that our priorities have to be oriented around we're all about Jesus Christ and him being glorified, not us being satisfied in just this life. I remember a, a guy that I met one time, I was talking with him, and we were kind of just talking about life and what he's living for. You know what this guy, this guy was living for, and he was investing all of his time, and he wanted to have a building named after him. And I was like, you're serious? He's like, yeah. That was, like, that was the epitome of coming to, to success, is if he could just have a building named after him. I'm like, wow. You know, isn't that just, just like American culture? 
We spend all our time with our ladder against a particular building. We're scaling up this building only to find in the end that it was the wrong building after all. Friends, this isn't just a message. This isn't Grant just giving us one more sermon. This is life. If you want to live your life and be able to say, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, I have fought the good fight. These verses, these convictions have to be a reality. If you, if you have lived your life for Christ with reserve, you're always pulling back. You always got three good excuses why you can never be involved. If you live your life regularly treating like, oh, they want me to do something. No, 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 no. I'm always pulling back. If you live your life with reserve and regret, a reserve and retreat, you will always live your life with regret. You'll come to the end of your days not going, wow, look what God did through me. It's like, what did I do with the days that I had? You want to see a guy with regret? You want to see one? I'm going to give you an example. Keep reading. Look at verses 9 and 10. Make, it, make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You want to see a guy with regret? You look at Demas. You look at him real closely. He loved this present world and he has deserted me. He just has walked away from it all. See, where your heart is, there your treasure will be as well, right? That's how it always is. Your heart's for the world. That's where you're heading. That's where you're going to go. We need to live today in a way that we'll not regret tomorrow. What you are living for or who you're living for determines how you will live. So what are these personal convictions that you and I, we absolutely must embrace? They are no reserve, no retreat, no regret. If you were to finish well, let me just tell you some things practically. If you were to finish well in life, which I would believe would be the goal of every person, you first of all, you've got to start the race. Okay? You've got to get out of the grandstands. You know when they get the first call for the 800 meters, report to the track, second call, final call, you've got to show up. You've got to respond to the call. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, can I just ask you this question? What, what are you waiting for? What, what is it that you're waiting for? What is keeping you from putting your faith in Jesus Christ? Don't think like, well, I've got to clean up my act. I'm such a miserable mess, Grant, if you even knew a quarter of the things that I'm involved in or have thought or done. Huh. You just come broken as you are. You come to the Savior, and you let him cleanse and change your heart and your life. You want to finish well? You've got to start the race. We have to see ourselves for who we are. We're, we're God's soldiers, servants, his children's. Slaves of an almighty, perfect, gracious, merciful, and loving master. That's who we are. When you see yourself as a bondservant, as a slave, it changes your orientation. Let me give you another one. If we're going to finish well, we have to strengthen ourselves with grace. We have to be, like it says in 2 Timothy 2.1, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace speaks of the spiritual riches and resources we freely have from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're going to finish well, you've got to learn how to stay the course. We all have trials and all have things calling us and saying, you want to quit, right? Even in our own body, like we want to stop or hold back. You've got to stay the course. 
This, uh, this weekend, or this past week, there was a lady, she's in her 60s. She told me with great sincerity and asked if I would pray for her because she has fully given everything of her life to the Lord. She had said this with tears and, you know, looking me in the eye and asked that I would pray for her that she would have the strength to fulfill what God has laid in her heart to do. I tell you, that's awesome. That is awesome when we come to a point where we're living with no reserve, no retreat, no regret. And so what is your next step? What is your next step? For some of you, perhaps, that have come today, your next step is the first step. You must begin the race and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe uh, you are holding on to something way too tightly. Maybe it's time right now to let it go. Maybe it's time for you to be involved in giving to the Lord's work. Maybe it's to take it to the next level. Uh, Perhaps it's to be involved with a ministry. Maybe like Mike talked about today, about having a personal retreat. Maybe it's time for you to go and recalibrate your life with God and follow, just go through some of those questions that will help you to do so. All of you in your bulletin have have a card that simply has these convictions, no reserve, no retreat, no regret. Maybe you want to put that in your wallet or on your computer screen or on your fridge or in your locker. Because this, guys, the convictions we hold guide the life that we live. In 1904, there was a man by the name of William Borden, a young guy, graduated from high school. William Borden came from the wealthy Borden family, the Derry family, Totally wealthy. Maybe you've heard of the. I'm sure you've heard of the Borden family before. He was. He graduated in high school in 1904, and so I guess if you're really wealthy, come from a really wealthy family, you get a pretty decent graduation present. I hope my kids don't get this idea, but uh, you know they gave their son for their graduation present. They gave him a trip around the world, and it wasn't just like be back in one week sort of deal. From 1904 to 1905, he went on his graduation cruise. And he went around the world and he saw all the different sites. And, and as, he, as he went around the world, this, this Christian young man, age 18, he became very burdened for what he saw, all these lost people and, and living lost lives, especially uh, for Muslims in China. He became very burdened for them. And so he went and he took his year-long trip, comes back. And, of course, his family can afford the very best. And so they, they sent their son, to Yale University. And then, right after Yale University, he went to Princeton Seminary. And while he was, while he was in seminary, this, this just burden for these lost Muslims, especially in China, just became overwhelming. That He, he came to a point where he said, Lord, I am going to devote my life to reaching these people. Well, and once he had come to this conviction that he was going to do there, on the, on the back of his Bible, he wrote the word, no reserves. He had just come to a point like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Now, of course, like every young man, he has parents who have great plans for his life. When he told them, I want to serve God and go and reach these Muslims in China, they flipped. No way. What are you thinking about? That's crazy. You don't want to do that. You've got it all. In fact, we have great plans for you to carry on the family business. You can live the lucrative life. You are nuts. You do not want to do this. What are you thinking of? But not for William Borden. He, he's like, this is what I believe God wants me to do. 
And so he, uh, he actually had a sizable chunk of money that he had already been given. And he realized that, you know what, this is holding me back. And so he gave it all away to Christian ministry. And so in 1913, William Borden, he gave away $500,000. Now, for those of you in the econ field, okay, $500,000, 1913, uh, with 2010% inflation. That's where we're at today. That's scary, isn't it? Okay, that equates to about $10.9 million. And he just gave it away. In fact, he even served as as a trustee for Moody Bible Institute. And after disposing of all of his wealth, he wrote on the back of his Bible underneath where he had written, no reserves, he wrote, no retreat. And so our young man in his 26th year, 1913, he set off to be a missionary to China to reach Muslims. And on his way to China, when they were getting close to Egypt, he suddenly became very sick. He developed cerebral meningitis. And in Cairo, Egypt, after one month, this young man, William Borden, he died. He never even got to China or all the Muslims lost out there. Before he died, on the back of his Bible, he scribbled these final words. No Regret. After William Borden had passed away and they retrieved his Bible, and they, uh, somebody noticed these words. These words written on the back of his Bible, Bible these, these convictions that guided his life, the convictions of a Christ-centered life. And they are simply this. No reserve. No retreat. No regrets. What will it be for you? Let us pray. Lord, we come before you at a very significant passage. A passage that is calling each of us to a life focused on you. A life lived with no reserve. A life lived with no retreat. A life lived with no regret. For someone who is here today who has never placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ, would they pray with me now and say, Lord, You know I'm a sinner. I cannot clean up my act. You know who I am. I turn from my sin and I trust your son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior now. And I take the first step. And for the many of us who do know the Savior now, some for some years, Lord, these convictions, would they shape us and mold us, fashion us, that we might be everything you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.